Hello and welcome to the Europeans. Yeah, welcome. Hey, Katie, we have to be more cheery this week. Yeah, but I'm really hungover, Dominic. I had gin and tonics in cans on the train because I'm in England and that's what people do in England. Isn't that exactly the thing that Diane Abbott got in trouble for doing? That's exactly what it was. I, I think it was a tinned mojito, actually. But uh, in my case, gin and tonics, I think that's the most English thing you can do. Is it actually illegal, though? Hang on a sec. Is train booze illegal UK? You can drink and or buy alcohol on most trains in England and Wales, says the Sun newspaper. I think the problem with Shadow Home Secretary Diane Abbott was that she was on the London Underground and you are not allowed to drink on the London Underground. Yeah, thanks, Boris. Um, Anyway, we are promising a slightly um, more cheery tone this week because last week was quite gloomy. And we did get a bit of feedback from people saying even good week and even happy ending were gloomy, both of which were my fault. <laughs> do better. I think we will do better. We're going to do better with good week, bad week anyway, but um, serious things are happening in the continent. So actually, our interview this week is, again, not the brightest of topics, but it is about trees. And everyone loves trees. Everyone does love trees. There's one guy that particularly loves trees in Romania and he's doing amazing work to try and protect the trees from loggers. So we're going to be speaking to Gabi Pound later in the show. But why were you drinking gin and tonics on the train last night, Katie? Because I was on my way to Northampton in sort of central-ish England to watch the first night of the debut stage musical by our jingle writer, Jim Barn. And it was incredible. So if you happen to live in Northampton or Ipswich in the UK, uh, go and see it. And if not, don't worry, because I'm pretty sure it's going to be a worldwide phenomenon by... Maybe this time next year. What's it called? It's called The Season and it's Christmassy, but not in a sickly way. I wish I could have heard it. Does it feature any of our theme tune in it? Yeah, it's all very Christmassy and then you suddenly get this... uh... Yeah, it's great. Go see it. Sounds great. So that's what I've been doing. But what have you been doing? What's happening in Amsterdam? Uh, I started rehearsals for a new opera called Cenerentola, which is Cinderella in Italian. Mm. And I felt very pan-European because we're singing in Italian. We've got a French director who speaks to us in French. We've got stage management and assistant directors who speak to us in Dutch. And then we talk amongst each other in Dutch and English. So we've got like four languages going at once. And uh, it's quite a lot for my little brain. Yeah, your little brain must be a mess right now. It sure is. So let's see whether I'm able to talk. <laughs> let's give it a go. Should we kick it off with Good Week, Bad Week? Good Week, Bad Week. Who's had a bad week, Katie? Uh, well, in the spirit of giving you a quite light-hearted bad week after last week's quite heavy episode, it's been a bad week for French cheese. As you know, Dominic, I moved to France mostly for the cheese. The streets are basically paved with the stuff. And by some counts, we have more than 2,000 types of cheese, depending on how you classify them. Uh, but yeah, it was a bad week for Le Fromage Francais last week because Italy hosted the World Cheese Awards. And we did very badly. Just one French cheese in the top 16. Can you believe it? Oh, God, that's awful. Are there riots in the streets? <laughs> riots in the streets. One newspaper, uh, West France, which is one of the biggest newspapers, it described the results as sacrilege. They were not very happy. And um, to rub salt into the wound, it was America that won the best cheese. America! Um, to be fair, and just to minimise the amount of hate mail I'm about to get from our American listeners, I know that America is very capable of making great cheese. 
And the winning one, I think it's the first time ever, actually, that America has won this particular award. The winning one does sound quite delicious. It is the Rogue River Blue from Central Point in Oregon. And it packs a punch, apparently. It is a richly dense and creamy cheese that comes wrapped in grape leaves that have been macerated in pear brandy. And it's best paired with a bold red or a sweet dessert wine. Sounds disgusting. I hate blue cheese. The best French cheese, which came in at number eight, it was a quite stinky epoise, that came in behind a cheddar, an English cheddar, Dominic. I hate blue cheese too, and in France I often get a lot of flack for singing the praises of cheddar in general as a cheese. I love cheddar cheese. It's amazing. It's a good cheese. So on a personal note, this is quite useful ammunition for me because I once told my French boss in earnest that I thought cheddar was the greatest cheese in the world. And he laughed so hard that I thought he was going to throw up. I think I agree with you, but can we just, I should probably clarify to our Dutch listeners that um, cheddar is not what they call cheddar here in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, cheddar is that like plasticky orange cheese, which I more associate, sorry, Americans, with American burger cheese. And they call that cheddar here. Not cheddar. I know. It's just a mistake. And it's orange. Um, Interesting side note. I assumed while reading about this that the French were the biggest consumers of cheese in Europe or maybe even the world. Uh, Not the case. Can you guess which European country does consume the most cheese per capita? The Netherlands. No. Uh, I don't know then. Denmark, 28.1 kilograms per person in 2016. Who knew? Did they make it into the top 15? Uh, Let's have a look at the top ratings, actually. Uh, No, they didn't. It was USA, Italy, Spain, UK, Switzerland, Italy, Switzerland, France, Japan. Wow. UK, Netherlands, Italy, Spain. Loads of UK. So we do have something going for us. Four UK cheeses in the top 16. You know, in these dark times, it's nice that we can have something to be proud of. When I moved to the Netherlands, I didn't realise that the Netherlands considers themselves to be the cheese capital of Europe. Mm. Do you think every country just considers themselves to be the cheese capital of Europe? Because France clearly does. We need to make a special podcast exploring the relationship between cheese and nationalism. Yes, we do. Good idea. That's a project for next year, if ever there was one. Who's had a good week? Good week goes to Sophie Wilmes, who this week became the first female prime minister of Belgium, breaking that glass ceiling following a long stream of 51 male prime ministers of Belgium. Better late than never, Belgium. Yeah. Wilmes has had a short but meteoric career in politics, coming from a background in financial management. Up until this week, she'd been the minister of budget in Belgium's caretaker government. I feel mixed as to whether I should mention the fact that she has four children because I hate the fact that we probably wouldn't mention it if it were a male prime minister. I mean, we rarely hear about the fact that Boris Johnson is the father of five or maybe even six children, (laughs) according to some reports. Um, So why should we make it a thing that Sophie Wilmers has four kids just because she's a woman? Do you know what, though? We did do that when... um... Ursula von der Leyen was was nominated because she's also had a gazillion children. And as a childless woman, I, I just think it's very impressive to like push humans out of yourself. I don't feel like it's necessarily sexist to mention it. Okay. Because it's an impressive thing to do. That's true, the actual giving birth. But I think it's more than that. I think it's the assumption. The reason why people talk about it is because there's an assumption that the woman should look after the children as well. Sadly true. And I want that paradigm to shift. Please. Okay, (laughs) done. Um, Okay, shifted. It's worth stressing that she wasn't elected as prime minister. She was decided upon by the leadership of the caretaker government, who are currently in the midst of the very difficult task of trying to form a coalition in Belgium. 
Belgium haven't had a fully functioning federal coalition government since the last coalition collapsed in December 2018. There was an election in May, but that didn't produce a clear route ahead. But hey, this isn't new to the country. Back in 2010, it took 541 days for them to produce a government. So we're some way off that record. Perhaps this is just business as usual now in Belgium. Mm. Talks collapsed back in early October, so she's going to have a tough job ahead of her trying to form a coalition, especially considering the rather fractured political landscape in Belgium. It not only has the political fragmentation that's happening across much of the continent with the traditional centrist parties losing support to more fringy parties, but on top of that, it has the complicated politics of the French and the Flemish traditions to navigate. Mm. And and she, uh, the new PM, she comes from a francophone party, right? She does. She comes from a centre-right francophone party, the same party that the previous Prime Minister, Charles Michel, came from, who stood down in order to take his position of President of the European Council. Congrats, Charles. Congrats. Wilmes is now the eighth female head of state or government in Europe. And now I know I've done this before with you, Katie, referring to LGBT leaders and you hated it, but it's good for you. So how many of the other seven can you work out? Prey on a woman with a hangover, why don't you? Um, Merkel? Yeah. Britain has obviously just lost its first, uh, second female prime minister. But in Scotland, can we count Nicola Sturgeon? I included her, yes. Iceland? Iceland? Yeah. Yes? Ah, yes. Catherine Jakobsdottir is the Prime Minister of Iceland. Yeah, I was going to struggle with the pronunciation. Thank you. Um, Denmark? Yes. Prime Minister Meta Fredriksson. She was relatively new. I'm drawing a blank after that. Help me out. I'll help you. You've done very well. Uh, Erna Solberg is the Prime Minister uh, yeah. of Norway. And the Chancellor of Austria is a woman as well. Brigitte Bierlein. Oh, yeah. We talked about her a while back. And there's one more. One more. Give me a hint. It's the country that we're going to be talking about later in the show. Ah, Romania. Viorica Dancilla, who is the Prime Minister of Romania, which moves us nicely, smooth segue, onto our guest today because we are heading to Romania, where a forest ranger was killed two weeks ago after responding to a tip-off about suspected illegal logging in a Romanian forest. And this is not the first time this has happened. In fact, just last month, another forest ranger was found dead in their car near the site of some illegal logging activities. Our guest this week has also been the victim of violence multiple times whilst trying to protect the uniquely special forests of Romania. We called Gabby Powell, the head of the environmental group Agent Green, to hear his perspective. He was on the road and the signal isn't that good, but we thought it was important to play this interview anyway. So we hope this bad sound quality doesn't put you off finding out about this issue that we think everyone should know about. The first thing you're going to hear is Gabby talking about the surgery he had this week after years of dangerous work trying to protect the forest. It's from several attacks and also stupid accidents during investigations because you sometimes have to do surveillance and hide yourself in in funny spots (laughs) and you fall and you get hurt dangerous job it is but someone's got to do it and it's not just in the last weeks this is sadly business as usual what is happening in romania is just now that it's coming to the attention of the international public who would say okay you would expect such news maybe and sadly from Burkina Faso or Amazon or Congo, but not somewhere in Europe. 
So before we get to the really horrific things that have been happening in these forests, um, I was wondering if you could first explain a bit about what makes the Romanian forests so special. Romania is still home of the last great primary and old growth forest. And there is very much at stake because as the industry needs more and more wood, the logging companies go inside this forest to simply log it out for making it cheap furniture, biomass for energy, and things like this. But because we have this last great forest, is also why we have the largest number of large animals like brown bears, wolves, and lynx. There is no other country in Europe that has half a million hectares with primary no-growth forests, or 7,000 bears, 4,000 wolves, or 3,000 lynx. There is simply no other country. Actually, the entire... Uh, Europe altogether does not have that many uh, primary forests left and that much wildlife. You have been attacked multiple times as an activist trying to protect these forests. Can you just tell us, first of all, like who are these people? Like Who would want to attack people like you and forest rangers, people who are trying to just keep the forests safe? I believe that wrongdoers will always try to harm you because they know they did something wrong and therefore they will always attack you verbally and ultimately physically when you're trying to get evidence. Mostly I'm scared about uh, the smaller logging companies which are trying to make a little money by stealing for bigger companies. The bigger companies are a little bit afraid to harm people like me. And they would not do it directly, but they will always encourage the smaller companies to get rough if things go wrong. But it happens also at the, at the sawmill of uh, the biggest company in Romania. It's the Austrian company called Holz Industry Schweikhofer. They have been exposed repeatedly for wrongdoings. They are now under investigation by the prosecutors of the organized crime structures and terrorist organizations. I have been following a truck from a a primary forest inside the national park all the way throughout the day to the gates of the sawmill. And I was documenting it with an uninterrupted video. And at the moment when I was filming it from public ground, entering the factory, the gatekeepers of the company come and punch me and kick me and they pepper spray directly into my eyes and mouth, leaving me basically paralyzed on the ground. And the police uh, who came ignored that. So I had to call with my own, um, on my own, the ambulance uh, who picked me up and took me to the hospital. Wow, it sounds awful. How much of your work is supported by the Romanian authorities? Are they helping you with this mission to police the forests? In, in my career for the past 18 years, I have worked with many governmental officials. We have basically change at least one minister per year at the environmental ministry, which is a problem. We do not have a stable partner for discussion. And most of those ministers were unqualified for their position and even uh, part of the problem rather than one of the solutions. So in general, if I would make a sum up of the past 18 years, I would translate the cooperation with the authorities as a disaster. Recently, another forest ranger has been uh, shot dead. Everybody's outraged. And the biggest shock is not that another forester died. The biggest shock is that the government isn't doing nothing about that. 
it's not the first uh, forest ranger who has been killed. There has been at least five, six for the past year, and hundreds attacked for the past years, and nothing is changing. I mean, it must be tempting to to stop monitoring because it just sounds almost too dangerous. I, I never thought of, of stopping doing this kind of work because it's too much at stake and too few people are, are aware what is at stake. It seems like not even the European Commission is fully aware because we are a member state in 12 years and not really much has happened from their side to help us here. So I'm simply continuing what I'm doing. We have been suggested by many people to have guns. We don't want to have guns. We don't like guns. This is what the state is asking now for the forest rangers to have guns. But come on, the last forester was shot with his own gun. So how does a gun help the situation if they take your gun and they shoot you with your own gun? So this is not an option for us. We will also not hire a security company like other people suggest. We don't have that kind of money anyways. We just want to go get the evidence, bring it to the right authorities and force them to do their job. Um, I was wondering, have you done any research into where the wood ends up from these companies that are logging illegally? Yes, of course, we have been looking into that because we have to understand the money flow and who, who takes the benefit. We are talking about Turkish and Austrian uh, processing companies. There is also a Spanish one. While the Turkish takes whatever they find, hardwood, softwood, the Austrians are dealing with softwoods like spruce and, and fir tree and pine tree. Uh, the forests do seem to be getting cut down at an alarming rate. Um, I read a, an estimate from Greenpeace Romania saying that the country is losing possibly three hectares of forest cover an hour. Do we know how much of that is from illegal logging as opposed to legal logging? Just to clarify this number, which has been controversial over the years, it's uh, ah, okay. creators of forests are being degraded every hour, which means it doesn't mean uh, it's forest loss or, or clear cut. It's forest that is being worked uh-huh. legally or illegally, but ultimately indeed disappearing because it's degraded. It will take ages to, to recover from this heavy logging. The numbers that are now coming out official and were kept secret from the eyes of the Commission and, and the Romanian public is that on top of the legally cutting allowance, which is usually around 18 million cubic meters per year, there is another 20.6 million cubic meter being cut illegally. This is in average every year for the past four years. So that would be like 82.4 million cubic meter extracted illegally for the past four years. And this data looks so bad that the Romanian minister for forest decided to keep the data secret. There was a leaked version of this uh, report. We brought it to the attention of the public one year ago. It didn't quite got through because it was simply too horrible to be true. But now uh, there were more uh, investigative journalism looking into that. It took them a while, and now it's out. And we do hope that to set up uh, an example, they will take out the minister from his office in the handcuffs. This is what we need to trigger a change in this country and to show that we no longer tolerate these forest crimes. 
thank you very much to Gabby for talking to us. Uh, if you want to check out his work and the work of his group, uh, it's called Agent Green, and you can find all of their info at agentgreen.ro. Yet again, I feel like we're in need of a happy ending, Dominic, so would you please oblige? My happy ending this week comes from our Patreon group again. We've had a really nice time on the group this week, actually. So do come and join the club. You can give as little as $2 a month to keep the podcast going. The happy ending is actually something that you posted, Katie. Oh, I did something good. You did. It's another happy ending that takes place at a funeral. And actually, I'm already regretting this choice. And I think perhaps it's really tasteless and... Maybe I shouldn't do it. It's too late now. Do I have to do this? It's no turning back, Dominic. Okay. It was a funeral in Wiethagen in Germany where the guests were given some cake after the funeral. And it turned out later that the cake the restaurant had served was actually a hash cake that the restaurant's owner's 18-year-old daughter had baked for a completely separate occasion. I love how you call um, like her getting wasted with her friends a completely separate occasion. Very much so. And perhaps it's actually not a very happy ending because the 18-year-old is now being investigated by the police. Oh. And hash brownies are quite awful things. I've had numerous British friends, including some of ours, Katie, come to Amsterdam not wanting to smoke, but wanting to have some weed. And yeah, in my experience, digested hash, as opposed to inhaled hash, is quite a horrible thing. Especially if you're not experienced, it can turn quite nasty. I've mm. had to look after numerous friends who've been on bad trips having digested hash brownies, thinking, oh, nothing's happening. And then a few hours later, a lot happens quite horribly. I'm just hoping that at least maybe one of the guests who was accidentally fed hash cake had a nice experience. Um, part of me thinks that it could potentially be a good thing to do after a funeral. Yeah, lift the spirits. Yeah, obviously you should consent to it. And these mourning people didn't consent to it. So um, yeah, this is definitely not a happy ending. And this should have gone into bad week. What have you done? Katie, I need you to take over this segment for a while. I think I've started glitching. I'll give you one last week, but that's an ultimatum. Okay, deal. You can send us your thoughts, comments, or perhaps you'd like to make a case for your regional cheese. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is, we love hearing from you. So please send us emails at hello at europeans.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us at europeanspod and follow us on Instagram, mostly for dog pictures, at europeanspodcast. Oh, and we're on Facebook, even though Dominic doesn't like Facebook, at facebook.com forward slash europeanspodcast. We'll be back next Tuesday in your podcast feeds with another episode from across the continent. Till then, la revedere. Have a good week. <laughs>